Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Respawning Podcast. We finally know what bloody episode we're on, thank God. Uh, and today we have four members with us today. We have myself, we have the ever-illustrious Colin Head. Hey. We have Salman Malik. Hello. And of course, S for last, Will Jones. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, guys. Are you there, Sonny? <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Is this the Skype? <laughs> it, could be. it could be Skype if you really wanted to be, Grandma. So, I guess, Grandma, what have you been playing recently? I'm playing the Tetris right now. <laughs> yes. I, am I got everyone on Tetris. Not like Tetris 99. Um, what have I been playing this week? Well, it's dissertation week, um, so I've been playing Hearthstone again, but, you know, that's every week. Uh, went boy with the deets. I haven't been playing video games this week, I'll be honest with you. Just ask someone else, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, hold on. Have you seen anything recently? Have you watched anything? Have you read anything? Have uh, you eaten anything? Have I eaten anything? Oh, let me tell you, what have I eaten? Oh, boy. Oh, uh, I'm just kidding with no idea. I've literally just been sat at my desk writing essays all week because um, it is that week at uni where everything's due at the same week uh, very, very soon. So I've been writing about how uh, Kratos has changed over time um, as a kind of a symbol of masculinity and how it's evolving and maturing as a concept within video games and how moving on from characters like the Doom guy who was just, oh, I'm so angry, I'm going to kill everything. Uh, now moving on to characters like Joel and Kratos, a new Kratos that is, who are like symbols of like fatherhood and kind of more constructive areas of masculinity and how that's affecting kind of the stories we tell in games. So that's been my week in gaming. That yeah. and I've been complaining about um, uh, Pokemon and also being really excited about Pokemon and also being really scared about Pokemon. Read my article. We will get to that. Hey, hey yeah, we will indeed get to that. So Salmon, what have you been doing this last week? Hello. Um, so. Uh, what have I been doing, actually? I have been playing... Um, well, I'm waiting for Devil May Cry 5, which we will go into later. Um, cannot fucking wait for that. I have been playing Tetris 99 like a motherfucker once again. It has consumed my life, and it's all I play. Um, other than that, I um, play... What do I play? I play a bunch of co-op games with my girlfriend, Remessa. Shout out to Remessa, love you. Um, but uh, mainly Overcooked. Like I mentioned last time, I am very good overcooked with her, and it is the best because I don't want to scream at her all the time, even though she screams at me and I'm very scared. But anyways, that's that's pretty much me. Like I don't, I haven't been playing much. I've just been waiting for Devil May Cry Five. When that game comes out, then you talk to me, and I will go on for years. Fair enough, then. Fair enough, then. Of course, Colin, what have you been up to? Uh, so for the last week, I've pretty much been playing Anthem solidly. Um, just to get review out on time for it, and you know what? It's all right. Is it? Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. It's been quite mixed, hasn't it? So you know, I, 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 that's the problem. You know, that you're gonna have so many. YouTube is gonna destroy it because it's not what we thought it was gonna be. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can generate views and just just get people in and behind you is to just jump on the latest hate thing. We saw it mm-hmm. in Fallout 76, and now we're seeing it with Anthem. Um, the truth of the matter is, it's it's got a solid foundation. It will get better over time. You know, games as a service and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, past that, started playing the uh, the Caliger Effect Overdose, which mm, is coming out on the Switch on the 5th. Do you know what's really good? Considering the fact this is a franchise I've never heard of before, and it's been remastered to hell and back, because it was originally released on the PSP way back when. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. It's actually all right. It's actually oh, pretty what, cool. I have no idea what this game is. What's the gameplay like? Um, <laughs> it's so it's a turn-based RPG where okay. you, you everyone's they kind of give you like an arena. So you've got a circular mm -hmm. arena which you fight in. You can move around, and then over time it kind of becomes like video editing software. So it tells you when people are going to do a certain attack in a certain order, and they just show it out in a timeline. Okay, it's, so it's like it's like a scheduling kind of kind of gameplay. Like, okay, you kind of like, like a what's that game? Transistor. But what? Uh, so, sort of, but on a different level. Okay, okay, okay. But you know, mm. it plays nice. Um, it's written by one of the scenario writers from the original Persona games, so it's a oh, bit okay. of a, it, it. It's a bit of a fuck around. It just plays with your mind and the sort of thing. Fun. Um, it's hmm. not as much based on like our audiences as it is Japanese audiences, but to be fair, mm. what JRPG isn't. Really. Yeah, true. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, Fair enough. Pa past that, the girlfriend's been. Uh, well, I've been playing The Sims Four with my girlfriend. And, the Sims uh, Four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. It's recently had the expansion, hasn't it? The, uh, yeah. We haven't bought. We haven't bought Strangerville. Um, we're Never. still doing like vampires and pets expansion. Hmm. But uh, my character's got as much sense as I do. So, girlfriend <laughs> turns me into a vampire. So, what do I do? I just constantly want to go out in the sun and play chess. So, I died. <laughs> nice. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. well, and on that outstanding joke, play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10. So, that's been Colin's week. Um, me, myself, I've been playing. Um, a little-known game called Steins Gate's uh, Linear Bounded Phenogram, which is a hell of a mouthful. Um, a visual novel developed by 5PB and by Spike Chunce, of all people. It's actually a very old game. It's been out since about 2013 for Xbox 360 and PS3, actually. Is that old? Is that what we're calling yeah. old now? Yeah, oh, I guess no. it is. It's last oh, generation, no. isn't it? So, you know. <laughs> I mean, so te technically, I mean, the Wii U is technically last generation, as is the PSP, so hmm. and Vita. the original DS. So you know, it is a bizarre situation that, but no, it's a incredibly depressing and difficult game for me to get into because, and Salmon crucified me for this. I've never seen or interacted with any sort of Steinsgate media at all, and this yeah. game is entirely based off of spin-off stories from the main canon. Yeah, and which is like like the the original Steins Gate is heart wrenching in and of itself, and the fact that you have not seen that heart wrenching torture is insane to me. Then why would the fuck would you ever play this game? Because I, know. <laughs> I I actually have never heard of this game before uh, you were telling me about it, and the fact that like it's apparently it's all just depressing stories makes me very excited because I love to torture myself with sadness, and I'm going to check it out. <laughs> no emotional torture. Oh, oh yeah, cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's difficult as well because it might be depressing for me, but it may not be depressing for you because it's like there's there's revelations that I'm aware have been expanded on in the original version. So in uh -huh. the original Gate, um, certain characters' fates, uh, you know, some stuff to do with the, their mentalities and stuff that uh -huh. obviously gets played up a bit more here. But mm -hmm. as a first time sort of person interacting with this media. It's very interesting for me because, you know, to me, visual novels are very much, you know, you just 
go about your regular humdrum. Voice acting is usually hit and miss. I mean, even with like Danganronpa, for example, you know, this incredibly blotchy series in terms of its, its voice acting, sometimes its gameplay as well can be quite jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this, I mean, the game doesn't have an English dub. It's all completely Japanese. But you can tell that the actors are really, really putting their bloody hearts in. It's really good to see. And um, yeah, I'm excited to, to play more of it, really. Um, other than that, though, um, not really been playing too much, actually. Um, just like last week, more Binding of Isaac, falling in that ever, oh, yes. everlasting trap. Um, Did you beat um, that weird motherfucker? Um, so you know, Will Jones? Uh, yes. So wait, wait. Delirium. Is he the one uh, after you go to heaven or whatever? He's the um, the true final boss of the game. So he's basically just that big boss. white blob of goo thing. Nice. It's huh. uh, annoying <laughs> nice. and difficult. See, I just I forget how to get to him, but I know who you're talking. Oh yes, oh yes. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, much like you, Salmon, I've also been waiting a lot for Devil May Cry Five. And on that very topic, we've had the Devil May Cry Five final trailer that has debuted. Uh, spoilers for. Anyone that's listening now and doesn't want to get spoiled for anything in that trailer, because there's some juicy Ooh, shit in there, isn't there? Oh boy! What did you think? Uh, I am motivated. Very motivated. So so motivated right now. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I mean, it was pretty obvious that Virgil was going to come back because Virgil is the best fucking character in the entire series, um, next to Nero. But uh, yeah, I'm just even more hyped now. Uh, one thing that Twitter I did notice was that uh, there's clearly a cutscene where, uh, what's Dante's uh, mother's name again? Uh, Ava. It's not Eva? Trish. Eva, Eva yeah, 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 yeah. Trish's model after his mother. So. Yeah, yeah, Trish's model after his mother, but Eva, right? So Eva is like clearly holding like a child's hand and stuffs them in the closet and says that you should run away and um, change your name and f- live in your life, which is really interesting because I want to see like. It's clearly going to go into like um, Dante and Virgil's childhood and how um, they handled growing up, maybe, or something like that. Yeah. Or yeah. just you know maybe flashback on just like what actually happened when his, when their mother was killed or what happened to Sparta or anything like that because we haven't seen much of Sparta in anything other than just like you know art and flashbacks and stuff like that in the previous yeah. game. So. Yeah. He sort of came up a little bit in DMC three near the end where Arkham started assuming his form. Didn't yeah, yeah. So just broke out. But other than that, he's not really had a, a presence in Devil May Cry for being such yeah. a, a a pivotal character in the story. So it, I kind of I kind of hope they don't show him because I, I I would really mm. rather have him just like this fucking all all powerful dude that like everyone just talks about but never shows. I yeah. think that's way cooler. Definitely, definitely. Colin, have you been keeping up with the Devil May Cry Five? How are you feeling about the game? So I've seen the re- most recent trailer. Um, I've seen a fair amount of the, uh, like, like the pre-order bonuses. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm very much about the Mega Man Buster. Mm, oh yes. Uh, I, I think I'm, even though I like the look of it, I like the look of, I like the soundtrack because of, of like the soundtracks and all of them. To be fair, mm-hmm. um, it is going to be something I'm going to buy day one. Uh, it's been a while since I've bought anything day one, and hopefully I'm not going to be disappointed. But do you want to know what the biggest problem is? And I think people, a lot of people are going to hate me for this. Go for it. Cool. I really want. I wanted a DMC too. Oh, DMC Devil May Cry. Oh, you're one of those, huh? <laughs> yeah. Dems are really fighting do. words, Colin. 
Yeah, uh, there has to be someone in a room which disagrees with everyone else, and that's normally me. Um, yeah, let's begin. Really, Fight. But why, though, Colin? I just liked that version of Dante. Really? Mm. That version of Dante is almost universally despised as being just like an inferior product that took the piss of people that liked Devil May Cry. Yeah, basically that's what it was, and he was an asshole. And I mean, I it, it, if you're talking about that one part where a mop falls on his head, it was uh-huh. brilliant because I was wearing the outfit that the head that hairstyle came from anyway. You're, so you just... personally were sat at your television dressed as Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I love this game. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think the assholeish nature of Dante is like kind of what goes against get Devil May Cry and like them taking the piss at uh Devil May Cry fans like even in um in that same game in DMC Devil May Cry there's a scene where um Dante uh, smacks a can out of some fat dude's uh hand and uh, you know it's just like oh you know whatever lame looking fat dude what a loser uh that dude has a big giant five on his shirt and it's just like really you guys <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> it's just, the, it's just... The, the, there's a problem with that though. We you look at that game in itself. It came out in a time when I was still a student, studying mm. game arts, you know, and studying game design. And it that game was amazing and how it it blurred between different realities and the, all of the symbolism in there and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there was a lot of jibes in there, but yeah. I think in a game or in a series or franchise like Devil May Cry, you you kind of expect it. And if you take it too personally, well, you shouldn't be. Oh yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I won't deny that DMC Democrat has amazing aesthetics. Like I think that's my favorite part about that game. Uh, everything else can just fuck off and just give me my old Dante back. But uh, to mm. each their own. I've gone on about this for so long that I'm pretty much dead tired about it. Like I couldn't go on if I tried. <laughs> but Fair enough. you know what? You know what? Actually, I'm happy that Nero now looks like that Dante. Yeah, I, I am. I am too. Actually, Nero looks fucking awesome in five. Yeah, definitely better than the uh, reject band boy member that he was in Devil May Cry Four. For certain, I, I don't I still care. Liked him then as well. <laughs> See, I, See, like I don't. Better. Yeah, I, I like, don't I care if he's a. Uh, I don't care if he's like he looks different. I just care if his personality is like you know. Of an asshole or not? Because I just don't like the fact that like they they felt the need to make him just an insufferable asshole rather than just like a really wholesome, cool dude that you just who's just like to fuck around. Speaking of wholesome, the uh, the Devil May Cry Five for the Nightmare novels, uh, which is a prelude to Devil May Cry Five, have started to be translated as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first part <gasps> has been translated by diligent fans. And it's been made aware that Nero and Kyrie, after the end of Devil May Cry 4, decided to open up an orphanage of all How places. cute. <laughs> so I guess you're getting that wholesomeness that you really desired. <laughs> yes, I, I want my, my overly nice Japanese wholesomeness in my video games. <laughs> Just like uh, Yakuza with Kiryu's orphanage. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff oh. in, um, in, in that game as well. Oh, sorry, in the novel as well. They've got detail as well. I mean, things like making certain characters of Devil May Cry 2 properly canon now and hinting that they might even appear in Devil May Cry 5 like uh, Lucia, for example. Uh-huh. Female protagonist 2. Um, Is it Lucia or Lucia? Uh, either. I think it's Lucia. It may be Lucia. 
I don't know. Oh, you are wrong. It's Lucia. Are there rumors <laughs> that she's in five? There are rumors. Yes. Um, Lucia. <laughs> Lucia. There's, 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 there's a restaurant with that in York. It's pronounced Lucia's. Huh. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But um, in the novel, in, well, in this preview novel, essentially, um, it ends up. Well, it, it sort of begins with Dante's chapter with him breaking out of hell after the end of Devil May Cry 2. Um, as now, Devil May Cry 2 is supposedly set before Devil May Cry 4, which fucking sense. Um, and basically, he ends up sort of going through a wormhole onto the, um, the island that Devil May Cry 2 mainly takes place on. Uh, with okay. the, old, uh, the old lady, Batea, I think she's called. And she's like, oh, you know, Lucia's been waiting for you. She's been wondering where you've been all this time. Uh, you know, when are you going to see her again? That sort of stuff. So it's like, this is all to set up for Devil May Cry 5. So if it wasn't relevant, why would they really, you know? Yeah, so, fair enough. It's interesting that they're trying to sort of fix the plot of Devil May Cry 2 in some way. Which an appreciated step, definitely. But mm-hmm. still can't yeah. fix that game. <laughs> I, I still I still don't know how to feel about mixed media uh, when it comes to games, uh, especially mm. especially when it's game when especially it's games I really love like Devil May Cry and Near, where Near is just a fucking mess, right? Of like, oh, there's uh, there are novellas and then there are radio shows and then there's uh, plays and musicals, and they're all very important to know about, mm. and they're all in Japanese, and you have to wait for translations and shit like that. As, and even like stuff like Devil May Cry, there's a very uh, old Devil May Cry novel uh, adaptation thing that they made a very long time ago, where um, uh, I believe Super Bunny Hop pointed it out because he does really cool videos like that, where he was reading um, uh, novels based off of uh, uh, video games. And yeah. um, funnily enough, it turns out that uh, what's that guy's name in Bayonetta? The 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 very typical gangster looking dude. The what, the Danny DeVito sounding? Yes, the Danny Enzo. DeVito guy. Enzo, yeah. Enzo is canon to Devil May Cry because is he, he is actually he is in in that novel, which is fuck. yeah. So it's it's these little things that like fuck me up because I'm like, okay, do I really need to give a shit about these novels now? I kind of just want to play my video game. Well, it also brings up an interesting point about these sort of mixed media franchises as well, because Devil May Cry three actually had two manga series that were uh, yeah. Sort of yeah. two ma- manga versions that were created for it, following uh, Dante and the Virgil, and there was a third planned uh, for Lady as well, um, mm-hmm. but that never released. It never got finished. So there's essentially a chunk of Devil May Cry three story that is completely omitted, just because they just couldn't finish the manga in time. Essentially, yeah, which is a damn th- shame. This, this is the problem with mixed media in general. I mean, you know, we talk about mixed media. The the biggest franchise that's ever done mixed media in my mind is Final Fantasy specifically with Final Fantasy 15 mm-hmm. yeah and with the fact that they've cancelled so many of the DLCs because Tabata left there's now a, a book which is coming out which is the last uh, uh, what is apparently going to make up the storyline for the DLCs that were missing and you're like that's a big chunk of story because the way that yeah. game ends it's open very much to interpretation but now they've gone Let's draw. Well, lads, let's make a novel. Yeah, all right. Like, <laughs> all right. But is is it going to be in English? Is it fuck? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as well because one of the franchises that I think actually pulls off mixed media franchising very well is actually Metro of all things. Um. So as people may know, I've been playing Metro Exodus quite diligently. I did a whole video review 
well, um, which you can find on the YouTube channel, alongside uh, Colin's little preview of Caligula uh, Effect Overdose as well, uh, which has uh-huh. just gone out, which is nice. Um, but Metro, from what I've seen, and I've done a bit more digging into it ever since I played Exodus, it seems like they've it's, it's sort of this perfect blend almost of, okay, well, we have this novel that, you know, obviously establishes the world, establishes the canon, then we expand it in a game, then we take the events from the end of that game, expand it in another novel, and then make a sequel out of that in the form of another game, and then rinse and repeat. It seems to be a winning formula. Um, but my question is, I wonder why other franchises haven't really taken to it that well. I mean, we've mentioned Devil May Cry, we've mentioned Final Fantasy XV as well, but do we think there's any other franchises that may perhaps benefit from becoming franchises? Well, I think it's based off of like, so for Metro, it's like, okay, it's a book and now you just base the game kind of off the book, but not really like, you know, uh, are are the the Metro books like uh, parallel to the games or are they just like, they take the concept of the book and just make their own story into the games? They are canonical to the games. So they establish themselves in timeline of sorts. So it's meant to be a sort of, you read the book, play the game, then you read the book, play the game, and you read the book, and so on, basically. Okay, okay. So, okay, because I've never played a Metro game, so I wouldn't know, or I I don't read at all, because I'm dumb and I can't read. But, um... (laughs) Same, same. (laughs) But, yeah, so uh, I think for a series like Metro, which is like a survival, like, um game which are very like western aesthetic and stuff like that like i think it's a lot easier for you to pull that off because people just pick it up not really care about what's going on and play it and enjoy it i think when it comes to games like final fantasy and near especially near um it's more of just like how the the director wants to handle it and it can be handled very very annoyingly in the case of near where um it's all just a mess of like oh there's this novella and then there's this stage play and blah 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 and I think the main problem with mixed media uh, is that I don't think not many, not many people do it, actually. And when they do it, it's mainly Japanese games. And then those, those Japanese things don't get translated. And then people get fucked over over here who are huge fans of it. Yeah. yeah. There are examples of it working really well, though. I mean, there is Western media that do this as well. Yeah. Mm. World of Warcraft is the biggest one. Then Halo oh, yeah. have got all their books. Witcher as well, having been you know, based. That's another good yeah. one. <clears throat> Which Although, is fantastic. Yeah, the first editions are terribly translated. Mm. Yeah, I think that like, especially games that are like service games, but aren't like Destiny or Anthem games. So like TF2 is, I think, the golden daddy of all this kind of stuff because its entire storyline and Overwatch kind of copy that. I'll completely admit that. Uh, is is completely set within comics and animated shorts and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. it works really fantastically well because it means you can boot up Team Team Fortress Two, and you're not worried about the storyline. You just get the characters, and they're really fantastic characters. And then they use those characters to tell stories, uh, but they do it in a way that doesn't make it frustrating when that story isn't around for a long while. And then you see Overwatch does it, and Overwatch puts all of its like appeal in these character baskets. And then writes a law which makes you wonder things and oh, what's happened here? The intrigue, the intrigue. And it's been out for three years, plus like a year of like pre-launch stuff, and the story's gone nowhere because they just don't put enough effort into one place to make the story go anywhere. And you yeah. have to when you're relying on mixed media to be the main storytelling thing. So you hmm. play Overwatch and it's frustrating to play, and you play competitive and you get angry and you think, actually, I, I really want to play this because I like the characters. And then you go to try and experience the characters, and then you maybe get like 
three minutes of video and a comic per year, and all of them are focused on one specific character out of 30, and it completely makes no sense. Uh, and, yeah. and why is this their marketing strategy to make me watch stuff just scattered through all these different things? Uh, especially when they do actually make story content in the game. They just make it available for three weeks a year for some reason. Uh, I think it's just like you, when you have the idea of a mixed media kind of franchise, it sounds cool and you want to do it. It's like a cinematic universe. Ooh, that sounds cool. Maybe we could do that. You've got to realize that as with every kind of medium of storytelling, it comes with trade-offs. You know, it's maybe strong in that, you know, you can have all these different kind of things that exist in different places and people that enjoy story in different type of ways can enjoy their preferred medium. But at the same time, it means that you've got to spread yourself too thin. And if you're spreading yourself so thin, it's not effective anymore, then it's not worth it. So if you can tell a good story within a Devil May Cry game, fantastic. You play Devil May Cry, you get a good story. And if you want more of that story, you can play a novel. But if you need to read a novel that's never going to be released in English officially, then why is the story being written like that? It's not engaging anymore because it's now frustrating to try and keep up. So if you're going to make mixed media storytelling, either make it so that that's all the storytelling, and so you can just play the game and there's no story whatsoever, and then make that effective, or just make it so that the spin-off media is that. It's a spin-off. You don't need to read it. It's a completely different story, or it's about a character that doesn't then weave back into the main storyline. So like, if I was making a a novel about, I don't know, uh, the origin of... The Companions in Skyrim. doesn't have to read that book to understand Skyrim, but it might be a fun storyline if I like Skyrim's story. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. definitely. I think it's um, one of these things that I think a lot of publishers sort of were looking to get into around the sort of um, the late noughties to mm-hmm. mid sort of uh, 10. Uh, especially with, as we said, Halo. Um, a big example of that, obviously. Um, Destiny mm-hmm. as well has a couple of little things to the side as well. Overwatch. Um, but it seems like there's something a bit of a concept that's all but forgotten. I mean, um, you know, speaking of of destiny as well, um, obviously Anthem is quite a, a topical thing right now, uh, being a Bioware title, and people expect a stellar top class story from Bioware, as they're quite well known for that, obviously. But Colin, how have you been finding Anthem and its uh, its story and how it tells its uh, various characters and explores its world? Important. So, as with any game, the world is a character, but the way that you find the lore of the world that you're in is basically by flying around and trying to find objects which will give you background information. Um, the main storyline is, is kind of drip-fed to you, and when you've got it, it's fantastic. But when it's not there, or they're doing it in a way which like for side quests where you, you're trying to do what you're doing and someone's just talking to you over a radio it's not yeah. fantastic it's not immersive but at but the same time yeah but you know what at the same time they are having these conversations but you've got four people that are listening to the same conversation happening at the same time so yeah. that's always going to be one of the problems with a multiplayer game yeah definitely, definitely. How, how it's going to move forward story wise I don't know but with a game like this, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think story matters. True. Yeah. True. It's, you know, I mean, Diablo 3 is, you know, a loot collector. I mean, that's essentially what it is, isn't it? You play it, you, you do it for the story the first time through, and you're like, oh my god, that was, that was kind of watered down from what I remember from um, Diablo 2. But you know what, it's cool. And then all of a sudden, five years later, you're still playing it, still getting the same loot and doing season um, uh, ladder stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. Anthem's going to be. Yeah. True. And as long as the content comes around that, that's better. 
no one's going to give a fuck about the story. And I, I, I think EA, I think Bioware know that. But like you yeah, said, there's certain expectations that come with a Bioware title. Yeah, Have they met those expectations? Have they fuck? Yeah, definitely. I think it's mm-hmm. um, with live service games, but I mean, going back a bit, Destiny is a prime example of this. Bungie were very much um, you know, adamant on the fact that this will be a 10 experience. It'll be this epic journey full of narrative story arcs and characters really care about and you know you fast forward to 2019 who really gives a shit about destiny's story i mean you know we've not really seen major leaps and bounds with the narrative you know um, obviously we had a big one between destiny 1 and destiny 2 but from there i mean is anyone still caring about stories in live service titles i mean i would say that when um a big game like that has a story bits of that story or at least characters are going to bleed into the mainstream like media consciousness <clears throat> so like if you've never watched a marvel you will still at this point know who iron man and who thanos and who all these characters are because they've bled into the media consciousness right i can't name a single character or a single event in destiny other than uh cade six and he's dead now apparently from the trailer that i watched and that's it that's all i know of the destiny story and i've had friends that play destiny a lot i've one friend that plays like he played Destiny like three, four times a week after college for about a year and a half straight. And, you know, I never got a thing out of him. Uh, and no one's ever mentioned a, a plot twist in Destiny, even though I know people that play it, play Destiny 2. And so surely at that point, it just proves that the, the story isn't really resonating with people on a level that they want to talk about and discuss it. In which case, mm-hmm. it's just a nothing product. It's like an episode of like CSI or something. Like, you know, you watch an episode of CSI, it's a story, you enjoy it, but you're going to think about it 10 minutes later? Nah. You know, it's just it's a bit of nothing content you just consume and then forget about. Mm. Uh, and I think that works when you're trying to make a game that repeats over and over and over. You know, there's games that I play and replay and re-replay that have story content, but it's single-player games that I can approach in different ways, like Fallout uh, and Life is Strange and things like that. Yeah. Um, or it's a game that just has no story focus whatsoever. So mm. I play a lot of Pokemon, or I play a lot of Hearthstone, or I play a lot of, I don't know, I've run out of games that I play. Uh, <laughs> what, what do I play? Um, Apex Legends, you know. Apex Legends I love, and I'm the kind of person that plays games for the story a lot of the time. And I love it. There's no story in there whatsoever. And I've not even played yeah. Titanfall, so I don't understand like, the world it's in. Yeah, All I definitely. know is the little short character bios. And I know that Pathfinder is an absolute joy of a character, and that's all I need to know as someone who plays games usually for the story. Yeah, definitely. I think it's with live service games as well they often just want to be mmos without the mmo aspect i mean yeah colin you're a massive final fantasy 14 fan and you know you've been playing that game religiously for years would you say that the way that it tells its story in comparison to something like anthem is far better or would it be more advantageous for bioware to take on that sort of structure um it's a difficult question it's a difficult thing to kind of answer really because with with the traditional MMO structure, you've got content which leads you to the next grind, and it, it and it it consistently does that. Whereas Anthem, it doesn't matter once you've done the storyline once, for however massive or however however much it misses the mark, you still can do that content over and over again, and you're still going to get the, these lines of dialogue until it gets. To becomes white noise to you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. 
will it benefit from taking more things from an MMO? I I don't think so. Fair. In, in all honesty, I, I don't think there's enough there, enough exactly. present in these games to be able to do it. I mean, that's what it at, is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you look at Destiny and the way that they released their, you know, their their most recent expansion, which effectively added in in-game content based around an MMO structure, and they seem to have pulled it off. But that's only yeah. because you've got the right sort of dailies to do now. You've got you've got the things that people would expect, and then what you gain from that, you can then use in any of the content pathways that they've got, whether it's PVE, PVP, whatever that is, you know? Yeah, mm. definitely. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing about massively multiplayer online games. They're massive. They're absolutely huge. Uh, and the best MMO of all time, in terms of like success and media, like you know, people talk about it still to this day, despite being, it's World of Warcraft, obviously. It's the big daddy of MMOs. The reason why that was successful at launch is because there was a crap ton of content you could consume from a story content. And also there was some fun raids you can do. And also there's a really, really, really strong social aspect. And the only reason they were able to pull that off and make such a massive world is the fact they'd made three massive strategy games set in that world already. So they had all this content to draw on. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're trying to like start uh, an MMO-style game in that you know, it's just a massive area with all this different lore you're trying to uncover, um, you need to be able to have a massive amount of content. So it works to make a, a, an MMO of something that exists already. And people tried to do that a lot in the, in the 2000s, like a, a lot. Like a Marvel one it was like a... It was a Lord of the Rings one, a Conan the Barbarian one, I think. It was just was so fantastic. many MMOs. Was it fantastic? I, I don't know. I was, I was too young for it. I didn't play MMOs. And I love the Warcraft storyline. I love all the characters. I love the lore. I'm a, I'm a proper wiki troller. I will spend whole evenings just trolling through the Warcraft wiki, picking up little details, learning about new characters. And I have never got a World of Warcraft character past level 20. The only reason <laughs> I care about World of Warcraft is because I play Hearthstone. And I had a friend who also played Hearthstone who'd played World of Warcraft. And when I was like 15, 16, we would sit uh, on an evening on Skype and play Hearthstone and we'd make Mimi decks and just play with each other. And we'd have a rule where if we say have Murby, you don't kill them so we can play around for an extra turn. And we're just messing around. And whilst he's doing it, as he's playing cards, he would like explain who that character was to me. And that was a fantastic way, trust me, to learn about lore, just completely devoid of the plot. Just having this friend explain it to you over the course of a Hearthstone game. I loved it. And that just proves that playing a game with a massive storyline doesn't have to be the only way you experience that storyline, unless it's like a plot rather than a lore thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, <laughs> if it's like a plot with plot twists and plot turns and that's the engagement, then maybe that's not going to work. But if you're playing a game with just masses of lore and you're enjoying that, reading it in any format should be engaging, really, because people that like games and other things, you know, like comics and films with big lore, just like digesting storylines, and they don't have to like experience it in the original flat in order to find it engaging. Because some people are just engaged by reading, he was this, 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 and then he went to this city and took part in this big event, and you go, oh, that's interesting. And they enjoy building the web in their head. That's a way to experience storytelling that's understated. And if you can do that really effectively in a game, like Dark Souls does it really effectively with like item descriptions and like very vague terms of people, make like a massive killing. Uh, of, of a gameplay experience, just reading that kind of lore and digesting it completely separate from the game's plot. And if you're going to make that, uh, I had a point to make with all this. Jesus Christ, it's gone. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm saying is that um, if, if you enjoy lore, however it's presented, it's pretty hard to fuck it up. So the only really reason 
that you would want to make an MMO is if you've got a lot of lore people can digest and you want people to just go mad with it, essentially. Why yeah. would you make an MMO if the engagement is a single plot line and then you play that storyline and then the story's over? If that's the storyline, put that storyline in a single-player game or a multiplayer game that you play like co-op don't put yeah. it in a service you want me to come back to for two, three, five years because it's not going to be it's not going to be you know worth it after a year. Like Diablo, of yeah. course, the story ends and then you just do repetitive dungeons. That's a very effective way of doing it because you just stop caring about the story at about ten percent into your time in the game. And I don't play Diablo anymore. I played Diablo three with all my friends and we loved it. It was fantastic. And then three of us stopped playing it, myself included. You know, it was just like a single play game. We played it and we were done. Yeah, so it's almost like two games in one. Yeah, definitely. And um, shifting topics a little bit, speaking of single-player games, uh, mm -hmm. obviously a big press on everyone's lips at the moment, is Pokemon Sword and Shield as well, which have recently been announced. Oi! You got Oi. a permit for that Pikachu! <laughs> <laughs> you want voice? Pokemon balls. <laughs> oi, oi, what's all this then? <laughs> I can't wait for the Yorkshire area of the continent. <laughs> oh my god. Oh so is that game is the location actually based off of the UK this time? It is, yes, yeah, confirmed. It is lovely. Confirmed. So it this is, is a UK themed region. Um, obviously, we've only seen the uh, the three starters and Meltan at the moment, which are the mm -hmm. only Pokemon we know of uh, in this generation. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just waiting for a very soft spoken and sweet gym leader that hides some sort of dark underside in the Yorkshire area to go. Walk in and go, you're right, love. You're right, love. I right, <laughs> <laughs> wait for a lot of written down accents. I want to see like Y dash E R eat love. Like there was like a, a, a bit in um, Dragon Quest Nine where everyone was mm. Scottish, and I couldn't understand a word of the written dialogue because they tried to write down a Scottish dialect, and it was just gibberish. And I want that. I want that. Yeah, it's That'd like amazing. Um, it's like the original scene of the Chronicles as well, where all the uh, most of the voice actors Welsh as well, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this region and what um, inspirations they pull from our culture and from uh, the UK's history as well, because it seems to be very sort of steampunk Victorian inspired, it seems. Yeah, I'm good with that. But also there's massive football stadiums. You notice that? Yes, I did. There is a football <laughs> stadium in this game. They really get the UK. They're actually getting it. And that makes me really excited. Mm. Uh, and I wrote oh. about this in my Pokemon Sword and Shield, three things I like, three things I want, three things that concern me. Uh, you should look it up on explore.co.uk. Um, I think that with the amount they paid attention to, uh, the first time they left um, Japan in the setting was Gen 5, and that was New York City. Uh, and maybe they got a bit things wrong, like they put a desert where Ground Zero was meant to be. Jesus. Oh, oof. I think oof. they fixed that a little bit. <laughs> Next time they did it, it was Paris um, with the Kalos region. Uh, and that was nice. It was quite Parisian. It felt very Parisian. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they really went hard. I think one of the only saving graces of Sun and Moon was the fact they really, really paid attention to Hawaiian culture and really were respectful to it. And I read a lot of comments from people who live in Hawaii saying, I love this. This is fantastic. No game has done uh, Hawaii justice like these games. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think they've kind of got the formula down. So they're, they're I'm glad that they started moving abroad and doing different kinds of locations. And the UK, uh, obviously, I was born here. I've lived here for 21 years. Um, it's my home. Uh, and seeing it in my favorite media franchise is going to be fantastic. I might start watching the anime again as a grown-ass man just to see how they do it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. So it's really exciting. And obviously, with the football stadiums, 
um they've got it really down uh and i think that they've they've chosen the interesting kind of starters i think the rabbit yeah. makes absolute sense yeah Squabby. very british animal um the gecko i mean there's, uh, there's some lizards uh, in england the, a little the monkey. bit the monkey uh grookey yeah the monkey okay. is what was getting onto that's so, a weird choice just shut up right now and tell me who, who do you guys pick uh, i'm playing um i think i'm gonna go for scorbunny right now i'm thinking of either grookey or scrobble i think <laughs> sobble yeah or sobble, sobble. sorry <laughs> He's what are you so I don't, I don't remember the names of them, but I, I always end up either going grass or fire at the beginning anyway. Mm-hmm. I've never chosen a water star ever in a Pokemon game. See, I only choose water starters. Sobble for life. I usually go fire or water, so I might change up and go grass. <laughs> I went fire, 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 fire up until Gen 5. And since then, I've gone grass, 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 grass. So I think I just grew up and realized grass was better. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, but then you're dumb, and you should realize that water is the best. Uh, yeah. No, because no. like obviously, it, it's um, like there's a hidden message in what you're saying, and I love it. Mm. Superior <laughs> is better than Samurott, obviously. Chestnut is better than whatever the hell was in that game. Uh, Greninja. Chestnut is so much best. better than Greninja. No, Greninja is the best. He no. is so much better. Uh, and what was it? I, I don't even care about. Gen- you know, you can have if you want. Uh, we had Incineroar, we had Decidueye, and we had whatever Poplio evolved Pre, into. Pre-Marina. Pre-Marina, okay, no. was it. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Sun and Moon sucked with uh, Water <laughs> Stars. I mean, I would have got Decidueye if I'd finished it, so that wins. Yeah, fair enough. But they put Incineroar in Smash, so I don't know. True, true. Incineroar is pretty cool. I need more characters and everything, so... I hated Incineroar at first, and only now playing him in Smash, I realized he is a I mean, dude, he's a fucking wrestler. Like, of course, he's the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> what I really liked about, I'm going to say, the Gen-, Gen 6 starters is how they fit an archetype. So, did you ever notice that they're a DPS, a mage, and a tank? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a rogue. I, th- I-, I thought it was so cool. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what these guys are going to be. Yeah, because it was like with Sun and Moon, people were thinking they were um, alchemical properties or something, weren't they? I think there was I a thing so, yeah. floating around. Uh, Around the game's pre-release was they were based upon alchemical and ethereal elements, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So with this one, I I don't quite know what the connection is between them, but you know it'd be interesting to see what theories people create for them. Yeah, I mean there might be none because I think they've only they needed that for that one generation confirmed. True. Um, but if they did, it'd be pretty cool because I like when that kind of stuff happens. I'm just hoping Scorbunny doesn't end up being firefighting because yeah. as much as Blaziken and Infernape are some of my favorite Pokemon, and they're both firefighting starter evolutions. But I just don't want it again, you know. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm pretty sure that that uh, that Bunny Boy is totally going to be firefighting, though. Mm. Definitely. I just have a feeling. I I could see fire flying, maybe if the ears become like you know some sort of like jetpack or something. I don't know, but that would be dumb. <laughs> that would be dumb, but I would love it. It'll be fun. So speaking yeah. of dumb fun, um, obviously we've been keeping a close eye on PS Plus's recent titles, and one of the most recent to be unveiled is Call of Duty 4 Remastered. Call of Duty 3 Masters, you mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's Modern Warfare Remastered, yeah. <laughs> so what are you guys' memories with that game? I mean, it's, it's obviously a nostalgic game for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. during our well, childhoods and teenagehoods. Yeah, Modern mm. Warfare 2 
was one of the games that obviously like defined my early teenage years, like 11, 12. Same, same. Because same. it was the first year of secondary school when that game came out. Uh, everyone was playing it. It was fantastic. And we were joining people's games, and they were having like a snipers match. And I didn't kind of get the concept, so I just drop into a lobby, pick an SMG, and then just start shooting people. I'm like, "Wow, you guys are really bad! <laughs> I'm just killing you all. What's going on?" And they're like, "Mate, we're trying to have an out scout battle." I'm like, "What's up?" <laughs> so that was the first <laughs> time I made it. That was the first time I made an enemy in secondary school was when I ruined someone's no scope match. Um, oh god! <laughs> but that said. Modern Warfare 4 Remastered, this needs to say, was a piece of manipulative shite, and I will not be buying Modern Warfare 2 Remastered under any circumstances. Oh. Activision have completely lost my trust. Is completely. The yeah, they they held it hostage, essentially. Yeah, uh, they, they held Warfare. it hostage on Infinite Warfare. At least they were honest about that. I can almost forgive that. It was a bit shitty. But on the other time, they then put in microtransactions after launch, after the reviews had come out. And that is just scummy. Like, you can tell yeah. I'm genuinely angry about this. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do not trust Activision anymore. Um, after they did the same with Black Ops 4 and put microtransactions in it literally like a couple of days after I bought it, I'm, I love Call of Duty to death. I've played so many hundreds of hours of that series. Mm-hmm. I'm never buying Call of Duty again. Fuck them, they've lost me. Good, <laughs> uh, <laughs> honestly, good. Like I'm, I'm so done with Black Ops Four. It's just like mm-hmm. I don't get it how they can keep getting away. They can't keep getting away they with, with this. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't keep getting away with this, and it's like it's it's horrible. It's it's scummy at this point, and I really like. I will only buy Modern Warfare Two Remastered if it's not held hostage by some other game. Mm-hmm. And it's super duper cheap. Otherwise, like you, you've lost me. Like I like yeah. I will play it for like a week, and then when you put microtransactions in, which I know you will, then I'll drop it. Like yeah, they will do cool. it. They, they will do it. Yeah, I feel as well with uh, with Black Ops Four and the dawn of Blackout as well. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that either going to try and sort of create some sort of amalgamated mess for the remastered version of Modern Warfare Two, or mm-hmm. people will just review vomit for not uh, review vomit not having that sort of mode in. Which isn't yeah, right in yeah. the first place, but I think at this point it's kind of they've kind of uh, they've almost sort of dug their own hole here. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, they've, they've, they've I, put the knife to their own backs. I think the kind of day where we end up being sympathetic towards publishers, like oh, they got review bombs. No, fuck them. They're a multi-billion corporation. They can deal with it. Yeah. You know, uh, I think actually what they should be caring about is why they're being review bombed. And they're being review bombed because people have been screwed over by game companies for over a decade now with this kind of bollocks. And we're just sick of it now. I mean, we had, I was optimistic a little bit when people started doing backlash towards Battlefront 2. I thought, yes, we're finally like fighting back against the, these scummy practices mm-hmm. at last. And so you know, I think, um, I think, so I think the reason why we've regressed again. From fighting back uh from like you know battlefront 2 and all that mm-hmm. is because um they've realized that um loot boxes are not the way to go but battle passes are yeah and battle passes are i i feel like they are a way better alternative to loot boxes to be fair i think they're mm-hmm. a lot better because you know at least you can see what you're gonna get and um mm-hmm. if you're gonna be like if you're gonna play fortnite for example you're gonna get that oh that regular gray battle pass whatever mm-hmm. uh that you don't pay for and you get unlocks and stuff like that but if you actually do manage to get yeah. uh, a battle pass you get everything that you've uh, earned up till then so yeah. it's like 
it's like you know big investment of time into like oh i can just pay this money and get all and just cash out you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think that is like a bigger like crack cocaine like sell <laughs> than uh, what loot boxes were and i think uh, a lot of games are going to be doing uh, battle passes now and uh, to be fair i'm not against them but mm-hmm. i also feel like um there needs to be a way to earn them by yourself and not yeah. having to pay for them and the thing about the battle pass that gets me is especially when it's in a game um that you've already paid money for Mm-hmm. You're then not only charging people for additional content, which is debatable depending on what the content is, uh, but you're also holding that content on a time-sensitive ransom, which uh-huh. is a classic. Like one of the first things you learn in marketing is create like pressure for someone's urgency. Buy it. Yeah, yeah, create a sense of urgency, and that's exactly what they're doing. It's transparent uh, psychological manipulation, and that's what I'm really against. I, I'm just an advocate for business practices where you have a product and you say, "Hello, everyone." Here's a product. Would you like to buy it? Here's why you should buy it. Not like psychologically manipulate using like, um, you know, Skinner box tactics and not holding it ransom to time and certainly not using social pressure to do it like they have done in the past with certain DLCs. Like uh, in Black Ops 4, when they tried to unload that, um, uh, there was a little marker that would appear next to your name for a few days if you hadn't bought the season pass, but it appeared yeah. next to almost everyone's name. So it ended up just like pointing out all the the guys that had bought the season pass, and they ended up being getting bullied for it rather than the way around. And yeah. that completely flopped. I'm so glad that flopped because they tried to blackpack like, oh no, it was just a thing. It wasn't meant to be a thing. No, it was 100 percent meant to be a psychological manipulative tactic. Yeah, it was supposed to be like, oh, I have the battle pass. You don't, stupid bitch. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, no, I'm not gonna fucking pay money for that shit. So I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yes. I think that will end it for today. So uh, thank you guys all for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't done so already, I uh, should probably point this out, but we are also now on Patreon as well. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to support us and support this content, you can tweet merch, then feel free to hit us up over there. Have a look. Maybe donate a couple of pounds a month. See what you can do. Um, of course, go over to our YouTube, our Facebook, our Twitter, our uh, website as well. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys in the next episode. Catch us on Spotify, baby. Bye. Bye.